We have loving ones that are all around us all the time. They call them the Indinotaganug. That would be the ones that are listening to me. They're around us and they want to help us and give us guidance. We have to get quiet enough to hear what they have to say. Hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. So on Native Lights, we like to talk with folks from around Minnesota, from tribal communities and urban communities and everywhere in between, talking to Native people about their experiences, their gifts, and how they use them in the community. Yeah, it's great. And I got to say that it's it's a great change of pace uh, from you know, the full-time news job because, you know, on weeks like this week with with a lot of stuff going down, it's it's good to to talk to some good people and get away from that a little bit, you know? Yeah, for sure. I was curious if you had any, you know, uh, you know, Native stories, you know, Ojibwe stories that you enjoyed as a kid or now or... I think I, we, I just have to go back to Dad telling us stories just to, like, kind of... I'm not saying that these are like, tradi- this, this is not traditional stories, but it might be more just storytelling for our benefit. But dad telling us, you know, scary stories of what's going on in the woods behind our house. Uh, so we wouldn't go in when we were kids. And of course, how has that played out now as adults? I don't know. <laughs> I live in the woods now, so I guess I'm okay with it. Although I do make sure all our doors are locked at night yeah. because I'm worried about like, Sasquatch or Bigfoot guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, I think the, you know, the whole, the Nana Buju trickster stories were always pretty fun to listen to. Stuff like that, you know, the muskrat saving the world going down, uh, grabbing that little piece of earth. I remember that one being a big one in the Ojibwe uh, language class. Mm-hmm. Like creation stories. Yeah, creation stories. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, it's that time of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask about these stories because... The show today is is somewhat centered around native storytelling. Uh, it also happens to be winter right now, as you're saying. Uh, some Ojibwe stories can only be told when the snow is blanketing the ground. Find that to be very beautiful. You know, it's a very timely thing, and that's why I'm definitely excited for our conversation with today's guest. Hope Flanagan is a native elder, a storyteller, teacher of plants and wild plant gathering and now works at Dream of Wild Health as a community outreach and culture teacher. She also taught an Ojibwe immersion classroom for a decade and. Before that was a storyteller at Minneapolis Public Schools in drug and alcohol prevention. She's now worked at Dream of Wild Health since 2009, but transitioned to a more year-round position in 2018. And I believe she just joined us. <laughs> hey, Boozhoo, <Yes>! Hope. <laughs> Hello. Boozhoo. <laughs> Not too much. I heard the boujou and I'm like, woo! Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gay keen. It is a good day. Yes, yes. So uh Boujou, could you uh start by introducing yourself? 
Sure. Um, you've probably seen in our Native communities, there's usually an official way of introducing, and that kind of sets the tone for that we are all interrelated, we're all interconnected. So the way I would do that, and I'll translate it, Hello, all my relatives, my fellow living beings. Um, and when you say that, you're talking to maybe the unseen beings that are around us, maybe that, that tree out there is listening, or that little ant that really is walking across my floor is listening. So you um, kind of already kind of set the stage for a different way of being in the world. That's great. And then I would say hope indigenous. I am called hope, Nudin Ensique Indigo, but I'm really in my spirit way, I'm known by the spirits as Little Wind Woman. Um, and that name is given through a namer um, years ago, an elderly lady that uh, um, she she passed that name on to me from her auntie and that name uh, kind of set the tone for what I'm supposed to do in this world. And when you get your name, you kind of get that idea of your position in the world. So with your, with your introduction, you kind of constellate how you're connected to everything. Nice. So um, that little old lady that's no longer on this earth at Nudinensi Kwe Bun, um, she taught about plants and she taught young ones. So now I carry that job, kind of takes the ego out of it. Like hope isn't all that important. It's the work that's important. Mikinak Dame. So I'm saying that uh, I'm a snapping turtle. I'm appearing to you as a human, as a little old lady, but <laughs> I'm a snapping turtle. That's my clan. And then Tanawanda Ishkonaginning in Dunjaba. So that Tanawanda is the reservation that I'm from. And that word Ishkonaginning means um, the reservation or the leftover places. Because historically, all the, the best food places, the best living places were the, the places that were taken away from us first. Um, but it kind of lets you know where, where you're from in the sense of land. Um, Dream of Wild Health in Danoki. So I work at Dream of Wild Health. And that's a... Um, we have a 30 acre farm area. This year we produced 8.5 tons of food. Oh, wow. So we put that food back into the community. And I've been working there for 12, like, like you had mentioned, I've been working there for 12 summers and the last two years it's been year round. Nice. Fantastic. Cole, do you remember your, your introduction? I, you know, uh, Jawan and Dijanakaz, uh, Okay, you're putting me on the spot now. <laughs> I was just curious. I was like so inspired by that. <laughs> Bijou and dude aim. You know, yeah. Bijou and dude. Bijou. Yep. Mrs. Agai Gunning and Dune Jabba. Wow. <laughs> so what's so beautiful for the listeners that um, Bijou, any Bijou that he would meet, any any Lynx person that he would meet <laughs> would be his relative. Hey, there you go. <laughs> I just showed Hope my my Lynx tattoo, my Bijou uh, paw print tattoo of my arm. <laughs> yeah. So this is really interesting because um, Indigenous people all over the world had this way of being. Um, I I got sent over to Australia and I met these Australian Aborigines mm. to do some language work. Mm. And the fellow, I did my introduction and the fellow next to me said, hey, I'm Turtle Clan too. You're my relative. And I said, yeah, you're my relative. And, you know, here's this Australian Aboriginal fellow. 
knowing exactly what I'm talking about. And he said, have you ever heard of the underwater lion? I said, oh, we got all sorts of stories about that guy. He goes, oh, yeah, he's there's a river up there that's all about him. So you should come visit it. I'm like, wow. So uh, our original instructions are all over this whole earth. Mm. If you go back and up far enough to visit, visit with people who keep those teachings. Mm -hmm. Kind of brings us all together, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, I I know we're going to get a lot into, you know, your work uh, that you're doing right now. But before we get into that, like, how are you and your family doing during, you know, the pandemic during the past few months and stuff like that? You know, I'm, uh, I'm really grateful um, for our traditional ways of being. Uh, One of our old teachers from way back was, you know, when, uh, when it's really cold out like this, that you go and you make sure your elders are taken care of and might be hard to imagine this, but every day for the last four days, Someone, some young lady in the community, and and I'm not talking people that are cashy, just uh, people, young ladies from the community, some of them really struggling themselves, have come and brought meat to me, which that's the old way. It's so beautiful. Uh, It just lifts my heart up to know that that there are young ones out there still doing our old way that was so precious and beautiful. Um, I do try to eat well. I know uh, my um, one of my elders, the one who was my neighbor, and she was my teacher for when I was really early. She'd always talk about eat what you want to be like. Like if you want to take in the spirit of the wild ones, the awansiug, then eat those wild things. Eat those things that you want to take the spirit of into your being. So, uh, gee, I've been eating. <laughs> deer meat and pheasant i've been eating the things we grow at the wild the dream wild health farm because i know the soil is nutritious so far i've been strong i've been thankful for that opportunity i believe that uh a lot of our healing ways are through um keeping our bodies strong being conscientious about what we put in to our minds and our bodies you know because uh it affects how we are so um i've actually been doing pretty good um, I have been careful, uh, so I can't deny that I've been inside quite a, I shouldn't say inside because I'm outside every day and <laughs> I've been out in the woods a lot the last few days to tell the truth, even though it's yeah. super cold right now because it's red willow picking season. But mm. I also think that being out in the woods is healing because we're with our old relatives, the plants, the trees, and just being out in this intense cold, it mm-hmm. reminds us how human we are. Yeah, that's interesting you say that. I just discovered we were kind of new to where we live in Grand Rapids. And I just discovered a bunch of red willow um, on the property. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this, but I'm going to figure it out. (laughs) Oh, I can talk about that. (laughs) That would be amazing. But first, so, so Dream of Wild Health, I've been a huge fan for a long time. When my family, we lived in the cities, um, we got the indigenous food share, and that's where we learned about the <gasps> ground cherries. My kid would eat them up, um, and really wonderful lessons. I just revisited a lesson from the uh, past and great Ernie uh, Whiteman about, yes, <laughs> hand over the heart, um, yeah. and the relationship between the, the blood memory between insects and plants. 
and animals and people. And I just like I, I just found the video on my laptop today because it was from several oh. years ago. Mm. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. Of course, I found this today. <laughs> it was a really oh. beautiful lesson of that interconnectedness. Mm. Anyway, it's just so many stories from Dream Wild Health that that really have changed my life. So thank you, Ernie. Ernie was grandpa and I was grandma for many, oh, many, yeah. many years. It's yeah. such a gift to be able to learn from that wonderful man. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still feel his presence there. Other ones have felt mm. his presence there and the uh, mm. young ones that were around him certainly think of him on a regular basis. It's, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful mm-hmm. gift to have spent time with him. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about the work you do in general, I guess, at Dream of Wild Health? Kind of what are you up to there? Oh, well, I guess it does, it does uh, touch on what uh, we sort of started off with, um, with the idea of health, because Dream of Wild Health um, originated with Sally Oje, who just recently passed as well. But her idea was, was seeing that that our people were really struggling with um not good diets and how when you get out there and you get in the sunlight, you get your hands in the soil, it's healing. And we know that now there's actually um, bacteria in the soil that help our physical systems. So um, that's absolutely true. So as she walked along that path for healing, um, she started to get responses and she was first given a, um, a collection of seeds that had been saved seeds, tribal seeds from an elder named Cora Baker, who was a Potawatomi elder. And she said for many years, elders had brought seeds to her because she was uh, one that liked to garden in the Baraboo, Wisconsin area. So she received that. And uh, when, when she found out that Sally wanted to start this farm, she passed that seed collection on to Sally. So um, Mm. Sally then, went about getting land and was able to get the first uh, 10 acres. And uh, right now that land is set up to support not just uh, human food, but food for other beings too. So um, we were originally under Diane Wilson, who is a kind of a famous author and Mm-hmm. She and Ernie and I, it was just like being living poetry all the time. It was just beautiful. Yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> uh, so um, the first part of the farm, if you go way to the back end of the 10 acres, it's uh, it's completely wild. And then the next part is a poll- pollinator meadow. So um, that's to support the insect population because at, at, at different points, we had tried to have um, honeybees who are not native and the honeybees started to have trouble as, as most people know a few years back and they would take off or die off in the winter time. I, I personally saw them take off from the farm twice. So we knew we had to go back to get our, our native pollinators and the native pollinators are stronger. I, I hate to say this, but it's true. And mm-hmm. the university of Minnesota has done some work to find which native plants are one-to-one associated with native pollinators. And it's almost that close sometimes where there'll be one native plant and one specific native pollinator. And it might be a bee, a fly, um, could be a butterfly, could be even 
um, gee, an ant, a particular ant. So there's all these different insects that we need to have, or we're not going to have our native plants or food in general. Because um, every third bite of food you have, you have to thank an insect. You have to thank a pollinator. So for the farm, we have a little wild strip. Then we have our pollinator meadow. Then we have a native orchard. So it's like wild plums, um, elderberry, um, buffalo berry, uh, choke cherry, some uh cramp bark berry, cedar trees. So we have some of those flowering plants that are healthy and produce food, but also produce, produce food, not just for us, but for other, you know, birds and um, animals that need that kind of food, but also supports the pollinators. And then we get into the next section of land that's um, predominantly used for foods that go back into the community. Like you said, we do share like share boxes, um, that people can sign in for. Nowadays, we are supporting uh, two different farmers markets where we bring the food to farmers markets. And we do bring the food to um, like the elders lodges. And nowadays, we've been doing more delivering food too to some of the people, the native people in the community that are struggling with food insecurity. So the first back half of the farm there is for vegetables and then just any kind of vegetables, but the, we're trying to regenerate the soil as well. And then the next part is for um, tribal seeds, like historic tribal seeds. So some of these seeds are extremely in danger. I know uh, last year we had one where we were hoping, I think we had seven seeds and we were hoping that one would produce a, a, a uh, squash. And we were just like, oh, please, please, please. Because in that was the only one that we knew of. We have a wonderful um, head farmer now, Jessica Green Deer, that was the, she was the uh, tribal um, head farmer for her tribe, the Ho-Chunk community in Wisconsin. And now she's working with us. And those, those seeds keep coming to her. So they come and we have to nurture we shouldn't say have to, we get the privilege of nurturing them back to health. Because we know people didn't grow those seeds for money. They didn't grow those seeds. Oh, because they're so pretty. They grew those seeds because they had a, a gift. And generally, it was a gift of nutrition. Mm -hmm. So these seeds are much higher in nutrition. And sometimes it's something else. Like uh, this last year, we grew out a Potawatomi watermelon that is really good in, as a storage watermelon. You don't have to refrigerate it. You can just leave it out and it doesn't, it doesn't decompose or whatever. It's, it's one that survives longer. So each one of these plants that we receive the tribal seeds from um, have a gift that was noticed by those tribes. Mm. It's quite an effort. Now she's doing rematriation where we grow out say a tribal corn bean squash melon sunflower whatever then we try to give those back to different areas so that there's like a safety net so they don't all get wiped out if they're only being grown in one spot so they're rematriated back to their tribal their tribal origins i work with the young people <laughs> so we bring the young people out to the farm and they learn from me, they learn from Jessica, they learn from the farmers. Um, and 
they learn about growing food and say about pollination because corn, beans, and squash all have different forms of pollination. So corn is wind, beans are self-pollinators, melons are, uh, or um, well, melons too, but melons and squash uh, are insect pollinated. So you have to watch over to make sure if you're, if you're wanting cross-pollination, you can allow that. But corn, you have to regulate, you know, you have to make sure if you've got one species of corn that you wanna make sure the wind doesn't just blow it everywhere. Uh, so you have to protect it against GMO corn and all the corns that surround us. So teach kids about things like that. We teach them about soil, about regenerating the organisms in the soil, like refortifying the strength of the soil. And then uh, our big, lately, one of our big focuses has been um, teaching them about cooking and chefing. So we've been building native chefs and right now, that's something we do online is each week, the students get a box full of food, and then we walk them through chefing with um, Sean Sherman's um, food lab. And we, we do also, we've been doing it with the Gatherings Cafe at the Minneapolis American Indian Center. That's great. Hope I have to tell you something. So <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like kind of embarrassed, but not that embarrassed. Years ago, like I would, I just never ate kale because I thought it was too, you know, bleh, like thick and like chewy <laughs> but I went to one event um a few years ago and the youth leaders made kale salad and they talked about massaging the kale to help uh make it I don't know make the texture like better and more palatable and just like you know nicer and I ate the salad and I was like oh okay I like kale now <laughs> and <laughs> So now when I make kale salads, I'm like, massage the kale. And I even, I taught it to my mom, you know, because my mom was over and I grew like a ton of kale. And I think Cole even ate some. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, you got to massage the kale. And I learned that from the youth leaders. So. Oh, thank you. Big chimigwe. Dream of wild health. <laughs> just had to tell you that nice. I thought that was kind of cute oh, kind of funny <laughs> thank you it's so good mm. to hear how it kind of goes out like you know a drop in water you know or a stone in water how the ripples go out and out and out so mm. thank you so much for sharing that yeah <laughs> that's great you're listening to Native Lights where Indigenous Voices Shine Native Lights where Indigenous Voices Shine is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund Today we're hearing from Hope Flanagan, a native elder, storyteller, and teacher who now works at Dream of Wild Health, a Minneapolis-based native food sovereignty organization that also has a farm in Hugo. So, Hope, what made you, uh, you know, what made you go down the the path you did? What made you become a storyteller and teacher of plants and stuff like that? <laughs> oh, gee, um, big question. Oh, it's a wonderful question. Thank you. Uh, when I was little, one of my favorite memories, when I was two and three years old, my mom would take my sister and I out and we would go picking. And some of my very first memories were um, finding things like a yellow water lily root or uh, what we called wild carrot. And uh, I always had this really good feeling because back in those days, when you saw a group of people picking, you were maybe you were going down a road, you could almost always bet it was native people and it made you happy. Mm. It was like, I wonder what they found. I wonder what's over there. You know, so you knew that people yeah. would be out um, hunting and gathering. And um, 
I found peace out in the woods. It was my safety spot. If other things felt rough, you could go out in the woods and find that kind of uh, uh, peace with those plants and trees and animals. So fairly, fairly early on, my mom would send me out to help elders that were looking for plants. So that was how I got started was she'd say, well, help that elder, you know, go help her find something, you know. So um, I was really thankful because that was where I found my contentment and then I could share it by finding things for them. At first it was kind of hard because, you know, I wouldn't always know what are they talking about? Or if they said <laughs> snake berries, uh-oh, what's a snake berry? You know, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Sometimes it took a, took a while to figure out what they were looking for and still does sometimes. Mm-hmm. So when did the, you know, the, cause you've done a lot of storytelling work. When did that all, you know, sort of come oh. about? That was an interesting one. I, I had not been doing well. I was sick for a while. And a friend of mine in the community said, hey, they're opening up this new school, Anishinaabe Academy. Come to the open house. I said, okay. And I got there and I felt really good. And I went to the principal and I said, gee, I feel really good here. Do you have any job openings? And he goes, yes, we have a job opening for a storyteller. Would you be interested in applying? I said, I can't do that. I'm no Ona Kingbird because Ona Kingbird was this magnificent storyteller from Panema, Minnesota, Red Lake, Washington. And so he said, you don't have to be Ona. Just have Ona come in and tell stories. So for six years, I had different elders come in and tell stories. And Ona, of course, was just amazing. And a little bit after the end of that six years, um, I went to a storytelling event and Ona and her family were on stage at Oxford College. And she called me up on the stage and she gave me all of her things and said, now you are the storyteller. So she passed that on to me. And um, in our way of thinking, the stories are alive. And those, those characters that you talk about, they're alive too. So you feast them and you thank them and you respect them. Um, and only tell them, you know, uh, after the last frog stops singing and before the frogs sing again, that's when we get to tell these, uh, what you would call Adazukanog. I was talking a little bit to our dad who, who lives up near Hinkley. Um, and he was telling me about Adazukan, um, and just like Steve, right? Is it Steve? <laughs> he, it's no, it's, uh, William. It's his brother, William. William. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, She's saying Steve Primo, our uncle. Um, but uh, he said that he heard that if you if you tell these stories, you know, not in the in summer, these Andazukan, that you might get frogs in your bed. If you <laughs> have you heard that, you might wake yes. up with frogs in your bed. <laughs> There's all sorts. Of, some people would say, "Oh, you're going to get green marks on you, or look like little mm-hmm. frog hickeys." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> like, but. Uh, um, Actually, it, you know, the, the real warnings are a little bit stronger than that because they might say, yeah. you know, do you really want to call these powerful, powerful beings and then not know what to do with them once you call on them? You know, so mm. um, they're busy yeah. doing their work, you know, so let them mm-hmm. be. <laughs> but it does. It's very much associated with frogs. There's a character yeah. in the Adazukana that they call uh, Grandmother Toad Woman. And I think that might be partially her and her little relatives 
that they're mm. referring to. So respect them and leave a bee <laughs> when there's not snow on the ground. I like it. I like it. So Hope, can you tell us about the connection or how it relates between storytelling and caring for our plant relatives? Oh, gee, in so many ways. Um, today, I was um, telling stories for a center school in Minneapolis here. And one of the stories was about um, how the, the trickster brings certain plants to the people through um, his blood, you know. So in th that particular story, there's four different plants and how those plants are brought forward. Um, and for the most part, it's for medicine, but some are for food too. Uh, but there's always connections. There's always connections. Another one of the beautiful stories was told by Anna Gibbs, also from Panema. Um, and she shared this story with the young ones at Anishinaabe Academy and then shared it with me as well, that every single plant has a gift, a beautiful gift. Sometimes they might have 10 gifts, you know. Every single one has a gift of food, medicine, utility. And if it's green, it gives us breath. Um, if we don't know what the gift is, that's not on that plant. That's on us. We don't know. That plant knows. But if you take just even one, oh, gee, the, you can make a tea out of the flat, the flat branches. You can burn it for cleansing. You can use it for putting on the floor to de uh, decrease insects or as a spongy way to keep you off the ground. You can use uh, the wood to make your knockers. You can use the wood as super light wood on the frame of your canoe. I mean, there's you can use the little tiny cones when they're green as a medicine against diabetes. Over and over again, you'll see that these plants, particular story that Anna Gibbs shared, it's how each plant and each animal came forward and said, Gee, we, we feel sorry for these foolish humans. They're the last ones here and they don't know how to behave. So <laughs> we're each going to come and offer a gift so that these, uh, and, and they describe it as twins in a, in a cradle board, in a dickenog. And these two little twins are like, <laughs> just crying away. And every plant, every animal come and offer a gift to try to, try to help the, the little foolish crying babies not be so mm -hmm. egocentric. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Hopefully we've learned, learned well. <laughs> so uh, I just had a quick question. I, I'm, I consider myself a pretty, not, I, I consider myself a novice when it comes to plants, you know, even local plants around this Minneapolis area. How would you suggest someone, you know, begin to understand a little bit more about you know, these wonderful things around us. I've been saying it to my boss lately, spend time with plants, <laughs> be outside and spend time with them. Um, yeah. When I was little, I learned that they were very, very healing and they still are today. I always learn something. I mean, I can't go out to the woods and not learn something. You know, if I pay attention to what's going on with the plants, like for example, I've been picking red willow lately. Well, they have relatives just like us. So red willow in the science way, or if you went to a landscaper, they'd call it red osier dogwood. If you went to a 
the University of Minnesota, they call it Cornus Cerisia, the scientific name, but their relatives, their cousins are all around them. You know, you'll see um, pagoda dogwood, gray bark dogwood, uh, you might see spotted dogwood or silky dogwood. Every single one has a different gift. All of them, you can use the inner bark for some minor pain relief. So they all have a gift. And even if you look at the dogwood leaf, the dogwood leaf shares the story of the hole in the day. It's part of the hole in the day story where people were lowered down on that, that, that um, fiber that you see when you pull apart the dogwood leaf. So um, if you spend time with plants, it's this wonderful, wonderful, endless rabbit hole of learning more and more and more and seeing the beauty. In this time of climate change, it's really important to pay attention to plants because the plants are on the move. They have to be. Um, so some of them are leaving and some other ones are coming. So as we pay attention to them, that's going to affect the insects, that's going to affect the birds, and it's going to affect the animals. Really important to start really noticing who's here, who's leaving, who might stay, um, because they all have gifts. So we can't ever say, oh, gee, this one is uh, um, not native. We're going to ignore it. It might have a gift of food. It might have a gift of medicine. Just paying attention and thanking them for being here. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Because we lived in the cities forever <laughs> and then moved up to Grand Rapids. And now we're on, we're just surrounded by plants and trees and all of these things like coal. Like I was like, you know, don't really know what this is. So also they have, um, there are apps <laughs> too that kind of help, um, you know, especially if you don't have a book and can't look through all of them, but you can just like kind of take a picture too, Cole, oh, and okay. get, a, get close to an idea. And Power I found like all of these, you know, like the edible ferns and, you know, just all these little things around that I never would have guessed. So mm -hmm. it's such a deep and exciting um a way to like interact with your world too, kind of like who's out there? What relatives? Like who can I bouge today? <laughs> <laughs> so back kind of, I, I don't want to make it about me. It's not about me, but about the plants in our yard. <laughs> so I mentioned earlier about the red willow and it sounds like you're kind of interested in chatting about it. And I would love to hear more about red willow, especially because you mentioned um, now's the time to pick it. Is there anything you could tell me about picking red willow and what to do with it? Sure. Um, red willow is, and you probably, as you're driving along in Minnesota, you probably every once in a while will see, oh, look, that red stick. Or maybe you're just walking around, you'll see a red stick. Well, um, it's an easy one to get started with. <clears throat> and I like that people might get started with it because the, the elders that I worked with, they would talk about red willow as mitigo asema, as the stick tobacco. And a lot of times today, we really encourage young ones to learn how to make their own tobacco, because that way you put your time, your love, your energy into making that tobacco. So now if you're going to ask an elder a question, if you're going to greet the morning and ask creator, what do you want me to do today or any day? You know, you put your tobacco down and ask. Or maybe if you want to go gather some red willow, you have to go and put your tobacco down and ask. And if you get started with something like red willow, 
that way you'll be able to make your own and it'll always draw you back out into the woods. So you want to make sure that you don't take all of it that's there. And you, you want to ask it, you know, like which ones want to come along. A uh, good rule of thumb is to count 10 and then pick one. So you don't take all of them that's there. You pay attention to which ones are calling out. Um, the red willow is very, very red. And that comes from uh, um, the story of the trickster when he he gets mad at his own behind and he punishes <laughs> his behind and it gets real bloody and he rubs it on the red willow. So that's the blood of the trickster that makes it red. So when you scrape, ask your family, some families are strict. They'll say scrape up or scrape down. So go by your family and uh, you scrape the outer bark off and then you come to the living layer and that's generally green and then when you scrape that, that's what you want. Uh, so often, if someone has an opwagon or a chanumpa, a pipe, that's what'll be in that pipe, will be the red willow tobacco. Sometimes there'll be a tobacco blend with red willow or and bearberry. It, there's all sorts of family blends. And that's something I really enjoy too is when uh, young ones will come and they'll maybe they'll have a family blend and they'll say, what's in here, Hope? And then we can have that young one carry on that, that tradition of their family blend. So back to the red willow. Um, red willow likes water. So in the story of the trickster, he tells you where to find these plants because he's on the way to the water to cool off his poor pitiful behind. So he's getting to the water and uh, that's when he rubs that on his, on, on the, on the sticks. The smooth sticks are the easiest ones and you scrape. What I do is I set aside a paper plate and I put the, the outside bark on one paper plate and the inside bark on the other. And that inside is the one I'll usually go if I'm going to an elder because I've always had an elder to go to, and I still do. It's nice to have a go-to elder, um, spend time with them. They appreciate it. Uh, there's so much to learn. So if I have that little plate of the red willow, I know that that's something they're going to value. And they knew I took the time to make that, to bring that to them. Mm -hmm. So if you get an opportunity to spend some time with an, an elder, oh my gosh, I bet you there's a ton of information out there that is, is waiting to be shared. So I want to encourage that. Okay, so you might hear in Lakota, Dakota, Nakota, you'll hear chan, sha, sha, or chan, di. And what that literally translates out to is bark, red, red. <laughs> so guess what plants they're talking about? <laughs> red willow. So in Ojibwe, you'll probably hear miskwabimish, and that would be the red stick. Misko, misko, like miskwa, misklabimish. So the redness of the stick. So again, the same plant. Um, so after you skin out the outside, then you're going to use that inside part. You can use the sticks in a fire. You can use it in your sweat lodge fire, however, or you can release them back into the wild. So one of the blends that I was given was a Malax blend that was passed on from Jim Clark and Jesse Clark. Some of you might remember those Clark, wonderful, yeah. wonderful Uncle, elders. Uncle Jim and Aunt Jesse, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, the blend that they passed on was the four dogwoods. 
It's the red osier dogwood, red willow, spotted willow that likes to grow near the fast moving cold streams, gray bark that looks just like a regular stick until you see the, the leaves or the little red stems where the berries used to be, and pagoda that looks like the red willow and that somebody drew a whole bunch of little gray lines on top of the gray, the red willow. Mm. And they all have slightly different flavors and they all have slightly different smells and they all address some type of pain when that medicine comes into your system. You have to remember that uh, in the Opwagen, it's a drug delivery system that sometimes people would put a plant in there that helps with congestion or helps with sinuses or helps with headaches. So um, inhaling the plant medicine is a way to get the plant's gift into your body. Mm -hmm. um, the non-native folks didn't know about it until they came to this part of the country. Nowadays, we try to really discourage like commercial tobaccos because there's so much poisons and toxins in there. Mm -hmm. um, and the what we are calling tobacco, sometimes people say, that's not tobacco. Or at the farm, we grow uh, tribal seed tobacco that some we don't know if it's we're watch, watched over in those tribes where Ernie would say 22,000 years. Mm. So really a long, long time. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll see these different kinds of seeds that were passed on from man to son to man to son to man to son. The Ho-Chunk folks have people that have never stopped doing that. So if you go to different tribes, you'll find that they still have continued growing those particular tobaccos. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. So I was curious. Um, I know that there are some some stories, especially when, you know stories in the winter that shouldn't be recorded, um, and we'd want to be you know, respectful for that. Uh, is there a story or teaching that you could share with us? Maybe a favorite of yours or of your students, or possibly a lesson you know about plants oh boy you put me on the spot yeah it's <laughs> it's true um I, i've been listening to different people doing storytelling and of course like i i always do the tobacco uh put down the um red willow tobacco when i'm talking about stories mm -hmm. um and the tradition is is that you would go to an elder and offer that tobacco um mm -hmm. uh, before they would tell a story yeah. um and I did get a, a little ear beating the other week from an elder up in Canada <laughs> that said, how are you doing this online? I'm like, oh, oh. Exactly. And that's, that's why, you know, we want to be respectful of that. So I was just curious. You know. Yeah. So there's different kinds of stories. The Adazukanag are the ones that have the powerful beings, the, the legendary beings. And, you know, I've been saying the trickster, calling him the trickster. I'm not saying his name because um, I don't want to call him here, you know. Um, and I believe in these beings. Uh, and uh, I think about like, okay, I, I really do want to be respectful of the Adazukana, mm -hmm. but there's also... Debajimoenan, which are like true stories, and they might, you know, like things that have happened personally to me, mm -hmm. or things that have happened to to other people in the communities. So I've got a great one. Uh, I I'd love to share that's uh, a Debajimoenan. Awesome. Debajimoenan. Um, yeah, it, <laughs> I'm gonna remember those are that stories. One. Yeah, like like personal stories gotcha. or life stories. Yeah. Um, so one time. 
I was down in Florida and I heard this fellow was going to speak. He was from uh, Washington State and I wanted to go listen to him speak. And he was from that tribe over there in Idaho. And um, as he spoke, he said, I've been going all over Indian country in the northwest of Turtle Island. And I've been collecting stories and uh, I've been hearing all sorts of things and all sorts of um, teachings as I go along. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And I said, gee, I wonder what he's hearing about. Because I've been hearing prophecies. And so after he was done speaking, I gave him same, right? I gave him tobacco because I wanted to hear his teachings. And you, nothing ever comes easy if it's worth something, right? Yeah. So he says, come <laughs> back at midnight. It's like, okay. Oh. So, so I did. I went home and I came back at midnight and, uh, you know, brought him something to drink and sat down next to him, you know, just some water. And um, he said, you wanted to hear stories, right? And I said, yeah, I'd really like to hear stories. So he started talking and he said, you know, in my family, we have a certain gift. He said, my family, we're able to change our form. And then he looked at me to see if I thought, oh, maybe she thinks I'm lying. And I'm looking at him because I know that people can do that, right? So I'm looking at him. He goes, yeah, in my family, we have the gift to change our form. We can change our form into a blue jay. He said, last winter, we were in our home up there at Colville, and my sister started to change, and she had never changed before, so it surprised her. And she, her form started to change. And she was so surprised that she got up from the ceremony. She went outside. She opened up the door. You could see her tracks in the snow where they changed from human tracks to bird tracks. And then she was sitting up in the tree. And he's looking at me like, am I going to believe him or not? And of course, I believe him because I know, especially back in the day when things were clearer, things like that happened a lot more frequently when there wasn't so much junk in the atmosphere so um yeah he was looking at me and he goes you heard of something like that before and I said yeah I've heard of that he said now you asked me about prophecies right and I said yeah I wanted to know about prophecies he said well everywhere I'm going I'm hearing the same thing there's something coming and all these elders are describing it as the one-eyed God. And people are going to worship this one-eyed God. He said they're going to bow their heads to it. They're going to give their lives. They're going to give their own children to this one-eyed God. And he goes, do you know what I'm talking about? I said, no, I don't. Is it a TV? He goes, it's not a TV. It's a screen. Mm -hmm. I said, what does that mean? I don't know what this means. Okay, now remember, this, this was in the 90s, you know, that this happened, right? Oh. So the next day, I'm driving along the road in Florida, and there's a Blue Jay in the middle of the road. So I stop my car so nobody will hit the Blue Jay, right? So I go over to the Blue Jay, and 
the blue jay won't move. I'm like, Guan, 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 won't move. So I scoop him up. Like, this blue jay isn't flying away. And I feel his little wings. I feel his, nothing's busted. So I put him in my on the passenger side of my car. And I put a little towel around him so he can sit up, right? So I drive home to where I'm living. And uh, I, I talked to this friend of mine. I said, oh, I got a blue jay in the car. I, I cracked the window just a sliver, just a sliver. And um, we let's go take that blue jay over to the bird rescue place. She knew where it was. She goes, okay, I'm coming down. So we go down. My car doors were locked. And when we got there, the blue jay's gone. I said, there's no way. How did that blue jay get out of my car? The doors were locked. It was just a crack. She starts laughing. She goes, Hope, you know how that Blue Jay got out. That was him. But that was him. That's how that Blue Jay got out. So here I am about 10 years ago. I'm over at Division of Indian Work in Minneapolis, and I'm telling this story. And one of the one of the youngsters that was listening goes like, oh, I love it. I said, what do you like? He goes, I love the eyepiece. I said, what do you mean? Well, you know, he was talking about the iPhone, the iPad, how everybody bows their head and gives their life and their children to the iPhone and the iPad. I'm like, whoa, whoa, right. The connection. There you go. Whoa. (laughs) I. Wow. Thank you. So that's a Dabajamoan. Dabajamoan. Good. So Hope, one last question. So usually, Hope, our paths cross at the Indigenous Farming Conference at the White Earth Land Recovery Project held annually out in Callaway. And this year, it's virtual, um, like so many other events. So last year, you did a storytelling session, I think, with the youth. Um, But so how can our communities share in storytelling during the pandemic or what, what have you seen? What have you done? I know you mentioned some more online stuff. Um, what do you think about that? It, it's kind of all over the map. Um, mm-hmm. Mike, Michael Sullivan from Waduka Dotting did a beautiful job when he did it in the language. So if people weren't listening in the language, it was hard to tell what was going on. But he had his 11-year-old son translate, which just thrilled my heart to hear an 11-year-old translating straight up Ojibwe. I'm like, yes! (laughs) So um, that's one one thing that I was really grateful to see that. Um, Mary Moose from the uh, Hinkley area, she has been doing star stories with her sons, and they've been absolutely Mm. beautiful. Uh, So if you can... Those are online as well. Um, I am doing some online when they tell me they will destroy the evidence afterwards. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been doing that with different schools just to say, um, I want to respect the tradition of the elders that went before me. If it's an elder that, uh, that have been carrying these stories forever and they're comfortable sharing the stories, have at it, you know. I know uh, tomorrow I'll be working with um, Bedote School and they're doing the stories in the language. Um, so I want those young ones to hear the stories. Then they can they can be the ones that carry the stories. Mm. I personally 
I'm always looking for someone who's going to be the next one to receive them from me, you know, a young person that'll be the next storyteller. So um, encourage your young ones to learn their language. I want to find a young one that learns the plants too. Someone who just loves plants. So just know people like me, we're out there and we're looking for those young ones. Uh, a teaching that came from Tubasada Kwadiban from Kenora, um, he would come down from the to the states and tell people that if you take care of the language if you take care of the stories if you take care of these ways they will take care of you which i've seen it over and over again so learn your ways they will take care of you you will be taken care of you'll learn that you don't maybe necessarily have to have the biggest house that ever was in the whole world you know mm-hmm. but you will always will be taken care of so know that these are these are good ways. They're true ways, and uh, follow them because they're going to lead you to a beautiful place. Every day when you put your tobacco down, just ask for guidance. We have loving ones that are all around us all the time. They call them the Indinotaganug. That would be the ones that are listening to me. You have your own. Everybody has their own different ones. They're around us and they want to help us and give us guidance. We have to get quiet enough to hear what they have to say. Yeah. Beautiful. Jimmy Gritch. That's a great place to, I, I love this feeling right yeah. now. <laughs> I just want to bask in it. Jimmy <laughs> yeah. Hope, I really Jimmy appreciate Gwich. you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah, yeah. nice to see you again. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to see you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, have a good one. Later. Giga Wabamin. Giga Wabamin. Giga Nice. That was so great to have her uh, on the show today. Um, and it's just great to have that, you know, reminder that we should be thankful of everything around us and, you know, continuing to mm. show appreciation because you know, without, without the animals, without the plants, we ain't really nothing. <laughs> it just feels so effortless to talk to Hope. It's so nice. <laughs> so refreshing, you know, because it's just nice to, you know, t- discuss storytelling, you know, just nature around us and get away from, get away from the iPhone. <laughs> oh, saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Usually I'm like looking for it. I'm like, oh, what has an one eye? What's yeah. an eye? Yeah. It's like, oh, iPhone. Yeah. I, I I mean that. It makes a lot of sense for sure. It's like a different form of eye. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, Jimmy Gwich to hope. Mm-hmm. Hope Flanagan is a native elder, storyteller, and teacher who works at Dream of Wild Health which is a great organization based in the Twin Cities that works with indigenous food sovereignty and they do farming in Hugo. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers and is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Log on to mnnativenews.org or search Native Lights on your podcast app. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lam. Chimigwech for listening. Giga Giga Wabamin. Wabamin.